Hey, Harpy Hour fans. Here's a new way to earn yourselves a coveted Harpy Hour logo sticker and get a shout out from us in an episode. Just tag us at Harpy Hour Pod on an original social media post. So not a retweet, but something you wrote yourself telling your friends how much you love us. Next, DM us your mailing address straight from your social media account or email us along with a screenshot of your post to harpyhourpodcast at gmail.com. You won't get another sticker if you already got one in our last giveaway, but let your friends know anyways so they can participate and get a matching sticker. We're only giving away up to 20 stickers, but if you miss out, you can also get one by supporting us on Patreon. Now, before you enjoy the episode, check out this promo from another awesome podcast to add to your list and stick around for Harpy Hour. Microphones and Monsters is a Cthulhu D&D actual play with a balance of horror, mystery, and comedy. Our story begins in a 1920s Magitech noir setting. We follow the story of Alistair. That power is very much something that I need, and I don't want that to stop. Victor. I don't think I want to help you. And Julian. It's burning. What happened here can't see the light of day. As they come face to face with Eldritch Horrors. <laughs> I don't think you could ever stop me. And try not to fall into madness. Go to microphonesandmonsters.com or listen wherever podcasts are found. Harpy Hour may contain explicit language, as well as graphic, violent, and sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Harpy Hour! (laughs) Welcome! (laughs) Aloha! The harpiest of hours. <laughs> I can't compose myself enough for this. <laughs> I don't even know exactly what you're laughing at anymore. <laughs> don't stop me, pal. <laughs> Having a good time. We just finished uh, recording our special content for Patreon before we began this, and we're still riding that uncontrollable high. (laughs) And Tracy still is using the word pow incorrectly. It's fine. It's great. It's beautiful. Does not mean goodbye. Does not mean now. (laughs) (laughs) But it rhymes. She just likes rhyming it with things. It fits right in. It just slides right in. (laughs) Misinformation. Just because it slides right in doesn't mean it should be slid right in. Too much? Important lesson. It'll never be enough. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to know how to say it'll never be enough in Hawaiian? Please educate me. (laughs) (laughs) This is not how this is pronounced. (laughs) Aeoli. (laughs) Aeoli. (laughs) Get out of here, you mayo-faced. Goddamn mayo face howling. With that pronunciation. <laughs> it's okay, it's A Ole Lawa Ia. Oh wow. That was flawless. <laughs> See, I'll I'll use my Hawaiian accent, ready? Oh god, please don't. Aoli <laughs> Lawa Ia. Is that what you think Hawaiians sound Bro. like? haven't you ever seen forgetting sarah marshall that was flawless kinu flawless (laughs) that was flawless it'll never be enough 
It just sounded like really casual, like beach bum. It sounded like just like high beach bum. Yeah, that is Paul Rudd's character in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. (laughs) And is he Hawaiian? (gasps) Yes. Well, he moved to Hawaii so that he could live the laid back lifestyle. He's not Hawaiian. So he's not Hawaiian. He is a Howley. He's a Howley. A comma Ina. Hashtag Defa Howley. Y'all need to go listen to become patreons and listen to not a doctor this month so you can understand what the fuck we're talking about to the malky no. to the ma- <laughs> no none of that is right none of that is okay <laughs> well <laughs> this is not special content this is episode 69 with- I would argue that it is special. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm Tracy. Every episode is special. I'm Liz. I'm okay. I'm Steph. Don't stop me. Mayo faced Howley cunt. Yeah. No, it's Helter Skelter Ghost Skel- Cunt. <laughs> I, but I thought you, I thought there were, there were multiple cunts. Mayo no, I Howley. was the 15 year old bitch cunt. Oh, my friend was the helter skelter ghost cunt. I'm really sorry that we misappropriated that. (laughs) I I identify as a helter skelter ghost cunt. (laughs) Oh boy, this is this is great, guys. Liz, what's happening? Yeah, this is our podcast where we share ridiculous stories in history, science, and entertainment. In Hawaii. If you want to be more entertained, again, become a patron on Patreon. You will understand what the fuck we are giggling about. (laughs) The link is down in our episode description. One dollar a month and you will understand the Helter Skelter ghost cunt. I mean, but isn't being on the inside of the inside joke priceless? Well, that's why they should be there. Yes, I agree. It's a, it's a deal. It's a steal. I mean, we're practically giving it away for a dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. Well, Steph, do you have more Hawaiian for us today? No. No, I don't. What do you have? You're, you're going to know what this is right away. Oh, God. Okay. I'm ready. My segment is called Hashtag Not a Pilot. Oh. Yes, yes. People who oh, this is um, people who fly planes that should not fly planes. This is the catch me if you can guy. Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, I'm excited. He's hashtag not a lot of things. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag not a lawyer. Hashtag, hashtag not, not a, a doctor. doctor. Hashtag not an adult. <laughs> hashtag <laughs> deaf Leo DiCaprio. <laughs> hashtag deaf Aaron Tveit in the Broadway version. I have oh. not seen the Broadway version. I did. I'm I sure saw you it. will grace us with a lot of the songs. Okay, let's do this fucking segment. This intro is pow. <laughs> you used it right. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. You did it right. Finally. <laughs> fucking howlies. So you guys guessed right. We are talking about the... True story of the man portrayed in the 2002 Steven Spielberg film, Catch Me If You Can, starring Leo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. 
I just saw the teaser trailer for Spielberg's West Side Story, and I'm so oh. excited. Oh, I feel it in my loins. I love it. Yeah. Oh. It's erotic. No. Nope. So, the real man, uh, I think they, they have the same name in the movie, Frank William Abagnale Jr. He was born on April 27th, 1948. Or so he says. Who knows what we can believe from this guy? Yeah, that's that feels like it's subject to... <laughs> I mean, is there a, and he, we know Have who his parents are. Yeah. I feel like there's a birth certificate. There was also a pilot license. So, you know, who knows? I just feel like there's at least one person in the world. The person who birthed him. That can vouch for this. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's super dead. Does so. she have the receipts? <laughs> Do whatever you want. She's super dead. Oh. <laughs> It was a Hamilton. Uh, okay. Sure. Of course. Frank grew up in New Rochelle, New York, and he began conning people at the ripe old age of 15. His first victim as a con man was his own dear old dad. Boo. Yeah. His dad gave Frank a... I'm going to keep calling him Frank. It's the easiest okay. to say. We're on a first name basis. It's yeah. Fine. We're besties. His dad gave Frank a gasoline credit card and a truck, and somehow his dad ended up having to foot a $3,400 bill. I couldn't find Ooh. any further information on this first con, but I'm imagining Frank just somehow like ran up this really high bill that his dad had to pay for him. I don't really understand. I mean, childhood is a con. Yeah. To your One parents. could argue. As I say, is that a con or is that like just misuse of the trust that was placed yeah. in you with the gasoline card? Unclear like, because I couldn't find any further details, yeah. but... What I read said his first victim was his dad. So mm. I feel like that's giving your kid your credit card to like buy a toy on Amazon. And then you have 400 packages show up at your door. Yeah. Like you misjudged just- that situation. <laughs> you weren't conned. You had all the information to make a right. logical conclusion and you did not. It's like the equivalent now of like when your toddler figures out how to hack into your iPhone and purchases a bunch of apps and stuff. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all the like, games. Well, you knew the risks and you gave them the reins. Like, yeah. But then after this, he began writing personal checks on his own overdrawn bank account, which, first of all, what 15-year-old has a checking account? What 15-year-old writes checks? Where is he getting the money to oh, open a bank account? Get, Lots of um, red flags. I think I had a checking account at a somewhat early I age. I did not have a but checking like my account. my mom was a co- yeah, same or something. I had a savings it. account. Cuz it was my own account for putting in like birthday money and also I started working at like 15. I worked at CVS. I I had like a savings account that my I parents opened up account. for me when yeah. I was young, but like I didn't have like my own account until like right before I went into college, I think. Before that whenever I had jobs, I think I just like cashed the checks and held on to the cash. I don't really remember. When what I was I did. 16, I had like the savings account. I had direct deposit at age 15, I think. Oh. I don't think I had direct deposit. I think I had to deposit it, the check myself. But, well, 15-year-old Frank was writing overdrawn checks from his checking account. Unclear where the money came from, from that account. I definitely did not know how to do that. Yeah, no. Eventually, the banks, like, caught up and were starting to demand payments on because he was overdrawing. So that con, like, fell flat. But he adapted and over time, through trial and error, found ways to continue committing fraud that we will talk about now. Not POW. Not POW. No. 
This is far from POW. In order to continue cashing fake checks, he decided that he needed to look more legitimate and adult. Suit up. Mm hmm. <laughs> so naturally, he decided to impersonate a pilot, as you do. I mean, definite adult. I feel like, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of in between ways, like smaller steps to looking like an adult that would have been just as effective without having to go right? all the way to pilot. I could have been like, like a, a banker. Big just leap. a business suit. You could be any, right. any businessman. Yes. Generic businessman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do business. No, he needed a very believable... Just like Barney. Nobody actually knows what Barney does. Exactly. He just wears a suit. Mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Please. Just wears a suit and he works in business. But apparently as a 15-year-old, his hair was already starting to go a little bit gray. Oh, and that apparently helped him look old enough to, for people to believe that he could or be a pilot. he was lying about being 15. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how many years of training it takes to become a pilot, but I sincerely believe that it must, like, you have to, a 15-year-old with a little bit of salt and pepper cannot possibly look like someone old enough to have gone through, like, all of flight school or whatever it is. Like, it just seems absurd to me. I mean, not all my pilots have a full head of gray hair. Like, you don't... No, but, like, they they can probably look like they're old enough to grow a beard. <laughs> He's 15. <laughs> He's a child. Yeah. It's not great. How to become a pilot without actually becoming a pilot. Step one. Obtain a uniform. Frank decided to just... Call Pan Am, like Pan, uh, Pan American World Airways, Pan Am, mm-hmm. and was like, hey, I'm one of your pilots, and like some stupid hotel employee lost my uniform when they took it to dry clean it. So, like, can you just send me a new one? And they were like, yeah, we got you. What's your employee number? And he's like, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. And they were like, cool, that checks out. Here you go. Yep. Like, he just gave them a fake number, and they're like, okay, sure, whatever. Here's your suit. So they sent him like a pilot suit. Step two, obtain a Federal Aviation Administration pilot license. So at this point, he's got a little bit of forgery under his belt. So he just somehow drew up a fake document that was a pilot license. And that was it. Step three, now you're a pilot. That's all it takes. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, pretty easy. So as a fake pilot, he flew over 1 million miles on over 250 flights to 26 different countries between the ages of 16 and 18. But so to be clear, he flew on these flights. Right, he didn't so, fly the flights. Yes. Oh, well, that's different. When I first read that, I was like, oh my God, what the fuck? This teenager's flying a plane. But then I realized he wasn't flying. Also, planes plane. mostly fly themselves. Well, Not at I that don't know point. if they did it this time. <laughs> this is the 60s? Not at that point. This is the 60s. I don't know if planes flew themselves. 60s were fucking wild, guys. But yes, I realized he was not flying the planes. He was flying on the planes. So he did what is called downheading, which is where airline crew can fly for free on a plane in order to get to like their next destination for work. So like, oh, I'm supposed to fly a plane in New York tomorrow. I have to go catch my ship, Yeah, can you fly me over there so I can fly the plane? So, phew, not flying the planes. All right. So he would just like show up in his like pilot costume with his fake pilot license and be like hey yeah it was was essentially a costume right yeah we're not really a pilot it's a costume right hey can i like hitch a ride i gotta fly out of the next airport tomorrow and they're like sure hop on we got you there's a seat over there for you 
I feel like that's something that, I mean, maybe the 60s are so wild, but that would have been something already coordinated. Like, as the pilot, I would have the list of people that I'm, like, transporting to their next shifts. Right? Like, that was my thought, too. But I guess... Clearly not. (laughs) I mean, it worked. Like, don't leave unless you have this pilot with you because they have a fucking plane to fly. Right. You think they'd be on the roster. Yeah. But I guess, like, I don't know. I mean, we grew up in a world... Where flying is so like strict so and regimented, Auto- yeah. It, yeah, it's all automated at this. Point. Well, also like you know, we are in a post nine eleven world where like there's so much like strict TSA documentation, like every exactly like if you don't have like the right documents with you, you could be rejected, even though you have a, a seat and everything booked or whatever, you know. So like back then, they didn't have any of that kind of stuff. It was much easier to just like show up, and I think you could. I think there was a point in time where you could buy a plane ticket like on the plane like you do on buses and trains i think don't quote me on that but he also he wasn't flying on pan am flights because he thought that if he went to a pan am flight they might actually ask for like his id or proof of employment and like catch him right so he i guess he was flying on like different airline flights and and they they just let him on for free still which I find kind of bizarre. Yeah. I mean... Like, you're not my problem. You're a competing airline. Your own airline should take care of you. Well, right. Like, you'd think that if you showed up at, like, Delta and you're an American Airlines pilot and be like, hey, can you get me to New York tomorrow? It would not be free. No, there are some industries that have, like, some kind of purality with that, you know? Like, I, apparently there was, because they just... That's what he did. He didn't actually fly on Pan Am. He just pretended he was a Pan Am pilot. Right. Like I said, he, did, he wasn't the one flying these planes, but he was multiple times invited into the cockpit by the person who was flying the plane and offered the controls of the plane. No, no. Say, Why would you do if, that? Like there was a, the pilot had a medical emergency and then you were expected to step up and save the plane. Well, I mean, there is a co-pilot. And the co-pilot. (laughs) (laughs) I guess he was willing to take that risk. But I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like, this guy doesn't even work for your airlines. And you're just like, hey, you want to take the controls for a minute? Huge liability. Huge liability. Wow. Huge. Like, like, what? Like, why would you offer somebody else the controls of the plane who doesn't even, like, work for your airline? Just be like, oh, you know how to fly, right? You want to take the controls for a minute? What? There was one time he was, quote, offered the courtesy of flying at 30,000 feet, and he took the controls and he put it on autopilot. I don't how he knew to put it, like how to put it on autopilot. I don't know. He had somehow watched he did. enough. Hopefully there's like a little button that just says that autopilot. He says he was, quote, very much aware that I had been handed custody of 140 lives, including my own, because I couldn't even fly a kite. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Which, I mean, not quite the same skill set, but point taken. He also got a lot of free hotel rooms and free food by sending his bills to, like, the airline company. Be like, oh, I'm, I'm staying at this hotel in order to work for you guys, so here's my bill. And they would just pay it for him. Like, nobody fact-checked anything that he did, apparently. This is outlandish. Right? What? He also had this bit that he would do where he would see like drop boxes for businesses such as like airlines or rental car agencies. They would have these like drop boxes for people to drop off their like daily money collections. And he would put a sign there. I think he did this at the airport a lot. So he put a sign up by the box and say like out of order, place deposits. Put in a new one. (laughs) No, place deposits with the security guard on duty. And then he would 
pose as a security guard and people just like give him money. And he himself was like, I'm kind of surprised this worked because like, how can a Dropbox be out of order? Yeah. It's It's a box with a hole in it with a puka. And to be (laughs) clear though, like, so these like smaller cons or what the information you're providing is from him. Yes. So there, there's a possibility that it could be, he could be like embellishing on areas where we don't otherwise have facts. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think we should take what he says as gospel. Take everything he says with 30 grains of salt. Yeah. <laughs> but this is what he claims. And also, like, the whole time I'm reading this, I'm questioning, like, why is this kid not in school? Like, why yeah, is like, nobody no one questioning noticed? his absence? Like, what's happening? How is this it happening? It was the 60s. I mean, it's, I read that he, he like ran away from home and never saw his father again. But like, it's unclear if there was ever like a missing persons report on him or like if anyone at home was like, where's our son? Why isn't he in school or whatever? It was just like, he just like ran off and just did all this shit. And like, nobody was like, where's Frank? The fuck? Yeah. So after a while, he was a little bit afraid that People might catch on to his pilot thing. And so he, fearing arrest, he fled to Georgia. He gave himself the fake name Frank Williams. And he was filling out an application to rent out an apartment. And like on a whim, he was just wrote the word doctor in his occupation. (laughs) Because he was afraid that if he put pilot, the owner might actually fact check with Pan Am. Mm -hmm. But not fact check you being a doctor. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Don't do don't do don't know. Doesn't make sense. I mean, his frontal lobe is not fully developed at this point. Like he's he did 15. not think this it's through. Sixteen, yeah. maybe he's sixteen. Now. He's like he's a child, but now he's a doctor. Okay, great. He met and befriended an actual doctor who lived in the same apartment complex, and it turned out that the local hospital was looking for somebody to become the supervisor of the resident interns. So Frank agreed to temporarily take this job as a favor. Until the hospital could find a more permanent doctor to fill. Yeah. Until they could find a more permanent doctor to fill in the position. She's like, well, if you really need somebody, I suppose I could fill in for a little bit. But, you know, keep looking for somebody else. But I'll, I'll fill in. So, like, not only is he a doctor now, he's the chief resident pediatrician supervising seven baby interns. Like, what? What? Yeah. What? Who are most likely older than him. Oh, per, yeah, for sure. They they're older absolutely than him. older than him. They've been through medical Wait, so school. Can you say, how long was he doing the Pan Am thing? Like how much time has passed? I think the Pan Am thing was something he kind of kept going throughout a lot okay. of this. So he did the Pan Am. I think the Pan Am thing overlaps with all these other things I'm going to be talking about. Because he said Pan Am okay. was like age 16 to 18. When oh, he does right, the doctor right. thing, he's, it's not like he stops Pan Am and does this. So he kind of oh, right. takes a little break, does this thing for a little while, but the, then he goes back to doing the pilot thing throughout. His whole like run of conning is like age 16 to 19. So a lot of these things kind of overlap a bit. Yeah, I didn't realize it was such a short amount of time. Yes, yeah, three years. I thought it was like through his 20s. Like I thought it was, it was years, years and years nope. and years. Doesn't even hit 20. Wow. Yep. So as a doctor, he was able to fake his way through by letting the interns, the interns, do most of the work. Interns are people who have gone through medical school. Like they've gone through four years of medical school and are like brand new, like little baby doctors who are still like, don't know what the hell they're doing. 
and he is in charge of them. So he lets them run the show, and that's how he kind of like covers up the fact that he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He almost blew his cover one night when a nurse ran up to him and was like, doctor, doctor, we've got a blue baby. And he was like, I don't... What, what does that mean? What does that mean? What are we talking about? What that meant... The was, baby is blue. What it meant was the <laughs> baby was literally blue. Like they yeah. were cyanotic, which means they're literally turning blue because they're not getting enough oxygen. So there was like a infant in critical condition, not breathing well, and he didn't understand what that meant. And he was like... Yeah. After this, he was like, oh, shit, like, I could actually kill people. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Good one. So he, like, resigns as a doctor. So while he's continuing to pose, like I said, he's doing the Pan Am thing throughout. So while he's, he gives up being a doctor, he's still posing as a Pan Am pilot. There was a flight attendant that he was dating. Mm -hmm. And he told her that he was going to law school at Harvard. Sure. She introduced him to an actual lawyer that she knew. And this lawyer mentioned to him, like, yeah, like, the bar really needs more lawyers right now. So he's like, all right, time for a career change. I've been a fake pilot. I've been a fake doctor. Now it's time to be a fake lawyer. Trifecta. Mm-hmm. How to become an attorney without actually becoming an attorney. Step one, forge a university law transcript from a credible school, say, like, Harvard. Sure. Step two, pass the bar. So you find a state where you're allowed to take the bar exam over and over and over and over again, as many times as you need. In this case, it was Louisiana. Uh, I don't know if Louisiana still has that rule that you're allowed to keep trying over and over and over again, but back then you were allowed to just keep trying. So like through actually studying over the course of several weeks and figuring out like what he must, what he got wrong on the previous tests, he was able to finally pass the bar exam on his third try. That's actually not bad. That's it? Just the third? Yeah, that's not yeah. bad. It's kind of impressive, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't pass my trainings for work on three tries. Like, my <laughs> annual, like, IT, security, like, you know, just all of those trainings they have to do every year to say that, like, you've done all your employee stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the sexual harassment training? Yeah, the integrity and the yeah. financial disclosures and like all those things. I'm just like, I yeah. know this. And I click to the end and it takes me eight gazillion times to finish the test. Step three, get a job at the state attorney general's office. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. Well, he has a friend now. The state attorney general. Yeah. They can help out. He's 19 at this point. So he works for eight months as an attorney. But he didn't really like the job. He ended up being mostly like a gopher boy, like fetching coffee and knickknacks for his boss. Why his boss needs knickknacks, I don't know. But that was what they said he did. (laughs) Eventually, he left because there was an actual Harvard Law graduate that started working at the practice and was asking (laughs) too many questions about his time at Harvard. And I don't think he was like hounding him like he was suspicious probably just like oh did you have professor so-and-so like what did you think of yeah. that class or whatever and you're just like uh like, you can only fake it so much so he like left yeah because a he didn't like it and b heat was on they didn't have google back then can't google this shit you cannot they didn't have facebook where you could see who was in your class and whatnot exactly mm-hmm. in 1969 he was in oh god i'm gonna i didn't look up how to say this Montpierre, France. Does that sound right? Sure. He was in his pilot getup, and he was recognized by an Air France flight attendant that he previously dated. She 
uh, informed the police that like, hey, this guy is pretending to be a pilot and I don't think he's actually a pilot. And he was arrested in France. So how did she know? Like, did she just have a hunch or? Uh, I couldn't find any further details about her and their dating history. Like maybe she dated him when he was a doctor. I don't know. Somehow she spotted him and was like, this isn't right. Also, he's dating? Like, what? What? He's dating. Yeah. <sighs> he's dating flight He's attendants. 19. I, I mean, if I, if my entire life was a lie, I don't think I'd be, you know, trying to. Gets too messy. Yeah. It, I wouldn't be creating ties I don't have to. Well, maybe he's, I mean, he's 19. He's probably a horny teenager and just wants to like. So is Oats. I mean, I would just be fucking bitches and leaving them behind, you know? I mean, who knows what dating actually means here? Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if he was like, this was his girlfriend or he like went on a few dates with her kind of thing. Okay, I don't okay. know. All it right. just says someone he had dated. Okay. But anyway, she turns him into the French police because somehow she recognizes like, this isn't right. This is, this is messed sure. up. 12 countries wanted to extradite him for fraud. <laughs> Jesus. He's 19 years old and he's wanted in 12 countries. So first he has his trial in France, which lasted two days, and he was sent to prison there. His sentence was initially one year, but it was reduced to six months. Supposedly, I read in one article that like this was a really harsh prison that he was in, that he was like, I don't, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but this is what I read in one article. He was kept nude in a small, dirty, like pitch black cell with no toilet, no bed, and like sparse food and water. It doesn't sound very French. I don't no. know. I don't know. I know. There's no like turn down baguette at this. I was turn just down baguette. Say, I don't know anything about the French prison system, I, but I just have this idea totally that it's like, kind of staying in a small, quaint little Airbnb, but like small. I mean, the stereotype is that they don't like Americans, right? So maybe they're like, um, fuck you, American. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. You get to stay in this closet. I have no idea. Only one article wrote about this. I don't know if this is true. After his six-month stint in France, he was sent to Sweden. In Sweden, he was charged with swindling and fraud, and he served another six months there. After that, he was supposed to go to Italy, but a Swedish judge revoked his passport, which forced Sweden to deport him to the U.S. So Italy didn't get to take him. Okay. And then he went to the U.S. He was sentenced to 12 years for multiple counts of forgery. Okay. I have a question that you might not have the answer to. All of these countries, like, did they know that they were being conned? Or was it, like, not until he was caught that they were like, oh, shit, that's probably happened to us? Like, I'm just thinking, like, you know, like with Pan Am, like, when did they actually figure out that they were being conned? You know, I don't I don't know the answer to that. And, and so, like, was he... Like, did he know that he was being looked for or was he just like completely caught off guard? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I'm just, I'm I mean, I imagine besides the fact that he was like pretending to be a pilot and stuff when he wasn't, I just knowing I'm guessing that he was also just writing fake checks and stuff in all of these countries right. too and like frauding their banks and stuff um, because that's what he was doing in the U.S. before all of this. Yeah. So it might just be something like that and where like in different countries that he landed at, he did things like that. And I don't know. I guess if you write a bunch of bad checks, like people catch that pretty quickly. But if you're gone, they can't and they can't, you know, 
we're not going to chase you across the world for a couple of bad checks. I don't know. Right. I think it would depend on the severity. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure the answer to that You know, I think, I think if you're wanted for murder, that's a little different than like right. passing bad checks. Yeah. So I don't know the answer. Now let's talk about his prison escapes, because apparently that's my new niche, prison escapes. No. Once, <laughs> yeah. twice, three times a prisoner. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he's been, let's see, he's been France, he's been Sweden, and U.S. So yeah, three times a prisoner. Give El Chapo a run for his money. Mm-hmm. He's competing with El Chapo. Mm-hmm. Well, this is pre-El Chapo. El Chapo so took his original. inspiration. He's the OG! Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. El Chapo was inspired by Frank. Clearly. It's not the same, like, rags to riches, you know, tragedy, though. I mean, he got no. pretty damn rich. Yeah, but it doesn't have the heart. You know? <laughs> I don't feel for him. You don't him. root for him. You don't root yeah. for him like you do for El Chapo. You realize El Chapo I'm murdered a whole Frank. bunch of people, right? And this guy just forged a bunch of checks. But he was abused. He helped his abused siblings. Yeah. He started an honest business. I'm still team El Chapo. An honest business of selling age. illegal drugs. Yeah. He was upfront. I think everybody knew what was going on. All right. All right. Sure. <laughs> So, on his way back to the U.S., Frank somehow escaped from the plane as it was turning onto the taxiway at JFK at night. So, he claims that he escaped through the kitchen galley where they bring the food and stuff like that in and out of the plane. Mm. I guess somehow it must be some door or seal or something there he claims that he got out of. I'm just about like, aren't you in handcuffs? I don't understand, but maybe he told a flight attendant that he was smuggling gold out of the plane and they were like, oh, yes, we will let you do that. Mm -hmm. He was probably a charmer, you know, so maybe he didn't. You'd have to be at this point. So now he's running around the runway at JFK. He scales a fence and then he hails a cab when he gets over the fence to Grand Central Terminal. He stops in the Bronx. And he changes clothes and he picks up a set of keys to a a bank safe deposit box that he has in Montreal. And in this deposit box, he has $20,000, which is the equivalent of $100,000 today. Sure. Then he catches a train to the Montreal Dorval Airport. He's in line there to purchase a ticket to Sao Paulo, Brazil, when he is apprehended by a Mountie and hands it over to the U.S. Border Patrol. Yes, the Mounties. Yeah, the Mounties got him. So now he goes to prison. But in April 1971, he escaped federal prison in Atlanta while he was awaiting trial there. So around this time, in the early 1970s, the U.S. prisons were being condemned by like civil rights groups and they were being investigated by congressional committees for like civil rights violations and things like that, I guess. He got lucky. The U.S. Marshal who like brought him there, forgot to give him his like detention commitment documents or something. Okay. Because of this, because he didn't have this paperwork, the guards there mistook him for an undercover prison inspector because that was a thing at the time. Mm-hmm. So they started giving him like special privileges and better food. Okay. Because they thought that he was just, like, undercover investigating the prison. Easy mistake to make. Obviously. So he has this friend, a woman named, that he calls, um, I don't know if this is her actual name. He might have, like, uh, masked her identity. But he says he has a friend that he calls Jean Sebring. And she helps him with this ruse. So she poses as his fiancé and visits him in prison. 
when she's visiting him, she slips him the business card of Inspector C.W. Dunlap from the Bureau of Prisons. So this is an actual prison, ins- like Bureau of Prisons inspector. She got this man's card by like posing as a writer and like interviewing this guy. So she slips him that card. She also slips him a fake business card for Detective Joseph Shea of the FBI, an FBI agent. And this is the FBI agent who is in charge of Frank's case. This is Tom Hanks. So she makes a fake business card for Tom Hanks and gives it to him. Okay. So he goes to the guards and he was like, yeah, I am, you know, I am undercover. Here's my card. And he gives him the first card, Dunlap's card, the actual prison Bureau of Prison Guys card and says, this is me. I'm undercover. Mm. I need to contact this other guy, Joseph Shea, the FBI agent. Okay. About a very urgent matter. And they're like, okay, sure. So he calls Shea with the number on that card. Mm-hmm. That number goes to Gene Sebring, his friend. And she pretends to be an, uh, a secretary. And she's like, oh, I'm the secretary for Agent Shea. I will arrange for you to meet with him in a car outside of the prison and have your urgent discussion. I was wondering where that was going. So I was like, so a fake business card for a real person. Like, what, right. yeah. what are they trying to do with this? Yeah, so this is an actual person. And she's like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to arrange a meeting for you guys. So they arrange. The guards are cool with this. So like, okay, we'll take you out to this car outside of the prison to meet with Detective Shea and have your urgent discussion in private without any supervision from us. So they take him out to this car and then Gene picks him up and just drives away with him. Okay, crazy. And of course, she takes him to a bus station and he gets on a Greyhound to New York and then takes a train to D.C. and he's on the run for a little while. As you do. Why do people go to D.C. to be on the run? I don't know. I don't know. All the agencies are here. I don't know. (laughs) It's not great. But he like goes back and forth and around the East Coast for a little bit. I'm not entirely sure what the fuck he was doing. But eventually he is recaptured in New York because he just happens to walk by an unmarked police car and two NYPD detectives like recognize him. This is like a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, imprisoned again. And they don't fall for that same trick twice. But in 1974, he is released after serving less than seven years of his 12-year sentence. Actually, I think it's like four years that he serves or something like that. And so he... He's released under the condition that he will help federal authorities investigate crimes involving like frauds, con man, scam artists, stuff like that, without any pet. And they're like, if you, you'll, we'll let you out, but you need to help us investigate these cases. And he's like, sure. They make him sign in once a week so they like know his whereabouts. And he is paroled in Houston, Texas, because he's like, I don't, I don't care where you parole me. Like, send me wherever. I don't have any ties mm-hmm. anywhere. So he okay. goes to Houston. So while he's like working for them for free, he tries to work numerous other jobs to actually make money. So he tries being like a cook, a grocer, he even works as like a movie projectionist. He can't become a pilot, a lawyer, a doctor. No, he can't really hold a white collar career. He passed a bar somewhere. <laughs> he did, but he didn't actually pass law school, so they don't, mm. you know. That's, you need that's to have that too. That's a no-no. Also didn't go to college. I don't think he even finished high school, actually. So he always gets fired from these jobs because he doesn't reveal to them that he has a criminal past and they figure it out and they're like, get the fuck out of here. And he also found these jobs like very unsatisfying. It kind of seems like the mighty have fallen quite a bit when you're, you know, pretending to be a doctor and a lawyer and suddenly you're a grocer, yeah. a bag boy. 
So one day he just like walks into a bank and he goes, hey, this is my past. This is what I've done. I can show you all the tricks that people use to like defraud the bank. I'll give you this like lecture about it. If you find it helpful, pay me $50 and pass my name on to other banks. If you don't find it helpful, you owe me nothing. We walk away. Just enters the lecture circuit. Yeah. And they're like, okay, sure. And it works out. And now he starts going around. This is how he starts his career as a security consultant. He later convinced his federal handlers to relocate him and his family. So now he has a wife and three sons out of the big city of Houston. Oh, that happened fast. Three sons. Yeah, that did happen fast. (laughs) Yeah, I guess we're skipping a few years here. But I guess he's doing this security consultant thing for a little while. And he's like having a hard time keeping a low profile in like a kind of a big city. So they move his family to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And there he starts Abagnale and Associates, which is a consulting firm on fraud issues. Like, so he goes to other businesses and consults them on like fraud things and helps them with their security. All this time, he's continuing to advise the FBI. He's like doing this for over 40 years for the FBI. He's also teaching at the FBI Academy, lecturing FBI field officers uh, across the country. In 2015, he was named AARP Fraud Watch Ambassador, where he helps, quote, to provide online programs and community forums to educate consumers about the ways to protect themselves from identity theft and cybercrime. In 2018, he began co-hosting a podcast for AARP called The Perfect Scam about scam artists. And he co-wrote the book Catch Me If You Can in 1980, which became the film in 2002. He was not a consultant on the movie. He states that like, he didn't consult on it and like, um, help them do it in any way. But he said the movie is pretty accurate with a few minor details. So he says that they changed some facts about his family, like in the movie, his mother remarries, which never happened. In the movie, he's a single, uh, only child, but he does have siblings in real life. In the movie, I think they have him, this like sub storyline where he wants to like impress his father, but in real life, he like never spoke to his father or saw his father again after he ran away. Some details were changed about how exactly he escaped from the plane. And Joseph Shea's name, the detective was or the agent the FBI, FBI agent was changed because the real Joseph Shea didn't want to be associated with the movie for some reason but like overall he says it was a pretty accurate portrayal of like his life he actually did a cameo in the movie so he didn't consult on the Wait, movie really? but he, he, yeah. he was the, he was in it yeah he didn't consult on it in terms of like writing the script or like the accuracy of the de- like no, it didn't mm-hmm. happen this way, portray it this way. Like he wasn't a consultant, but he did do a brief cameo. He was the French officer who took Leo DiCaprio into custody. Do you think like the French officer is who he despised the most? Like, do you think he goes over all the series of events in his life and is like that goddamn French officer? Yeah, that was Maybe. where it all went down. That was the <laughs> linchpin that like really tore it apart. Well, it was probably more the 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 flight attendant, the girl that yeah ratted him out. That was probably probably more angry at her, I would guess. Uh, you know, after he was captured and then he was released and helping the FBI, he and Joseph Shea remained friends until Shea passed away in 2005. Mm-hmm. And over his the course of his career as a con man. He cashed more than $2 million in bad checks in those 26 countries. But currently, his net worth is like $10 million. 
Because he is like banked on all of this. And between, I was going like, to say, that's not shabby. Yeah, between the books he's written, he's written multiple books. He does a lot of like lectures. Like he can, you can like hire him as like a guest lecturer or like a commencement speaker or stuff like that. His consultant firm, like his overall fame. I would be fame, afraid you know? to hire him for anything because I feel like he would just somehow be swindling me out of everything I have. Right. Like as a ruse hire me and I'll help you save money and he actually just takes it all well interesting you should bring up that I found an article literally from like days ago April 23rd 2021 so a super recent article Mm -hmm. that suggests that Frank's entire story is one long big con stop it that's like the conspiracy inside the conspiracy it's right? a show inside Session. a show. And at first I was like, okay, whoever wrote this is clearly like, um, I don't know, maybe this person here is just like a conspiracy nut or something like that. But this was actually like, the article is from NPR. Steph wrote it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was an NPR associated group that wrote this. So I'm like, it's not what? like a... It's not like a fringe thing. Yeah, exactly. So the author of this article claims that they tried to investigate many of Frank's claims, but they were unable to verify most of them. So he, he claims that from his personal research, this author, Frank only dressed as a pilot on flights for like a few weeks. And then he began stalking a flight attendant named Paula Parks. Ooh. He says that Frank eventually showed up at Paula Parks' parents' house, Paula Parks' parents' house, yeah, in Baton Rouge, and he like met her parents and kind of like schmoozed with them and won them over. So like they really liked him, but Paula didn't, but they were like, no, 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 he's a great guy. Like, let's let him stay with us. And mm-hmm. then he like stole their checks and like wrote out like $1,200 worth of checks from them. So he stole like $1,200 from them. And then also from like, did similar things with like fake and forged checks to local businesses in Baton Rouge. But then they, this author claims that Frank was caught, spent, most of his years in prison from the ages of 16 to 20 for like mm-hmm. petty crimes, like these little like checks and stuff like that. Got it. And he claims that when he got out, the parole officer encouraged Frank to tell his story about being a reformed man. So Frank like ran with it. And over time, his tail got like bigger and bigger and like more larger than life. Mm-hmm. He even ended up on like multiple talk shows, like late night right. talk shows and like, a game show called To Tell the Truth, where I think, I don't, I didn't read too much about this game show, but I think there's like three people and like two are telling lies and one's telling the truth. Two truths and a lie. Yeah, kind of like that. People have to guess like who the real, who's the real person or who's the real story or whatever. Something like that. So he like becomes like this big persona. He's famous because of the story that keeps getting bigger and bigger. Pan Am supposedly claims that Frank never stole any money from them. A couple of journalists have like tried over the years to verify his claims and they claim that they've like debunked some of the stuff. So this is a quote from the article. Telephone calls to banks, schools, hospitals, and other institutions Abagnale mentioned turned up no evidence of his cons under the aliases he used. Abagnale's response was, quote, due to the embarrassment involved, I doubt if anyone would confirm the information. He later said that he had changed the names. So Frank's saying like, oh, well, they're too embarrassed to admit that I conned them, but also like I've, the the aliases that I've given you might not be actually the aliases that I used back then or something like that. Mm -hmm. So 
that's his claim as to why his story can't be verified. Got it. It makes sense, like, you know, because I asked you at the beginning, like, for the record, this is what he's saying, right? Like, this is his side of the story. And when you look at it, I mean, I think we know that the facts are he was charged in, like, many countries. And Mm -hmm. so there's a very clearly a record of fraud. And so, like, he was doing a bunch of illegal shit, but it was probably all just that, um, like, check forgery stuff. But that doesn't make a very fanciful story for for publishing a book and so i i I think i'm in the camp where i think it's been expanded on a bit but like it's i feel like the truth is probably somewhere in between right like i feel like probably his story and like the movie catch me if you can like that's probably embellished and like yes probably larger than life and like not accurate fully but i I mean, I feel like we must be able to verify if he was in a French prison and a Swedish prison and like, right. Like some of these things have to be verifiable, right? Like, yeah, if those are the facts, like, so I don't know if that's something that like you found in other articles or if that was just from his account of like having to be extradited to different places and serve time in different places and then be moved around and charged again in like another country like that. Those should be verifiable facts. Mm -hmm. But and if that is the case, then that might just be for like forgery but the stories of being a lawyer and being a doctor and being a pilot i feel like are i want to see facts for that i think that that's his fanciful imagination to explain why he was in prison but it was really just for lame stuff right Mm -hmm. i I don't know because like i'm read like i a lot of this i did get from like wikipedia and like looking at their sources some of it is stuff like his biography and things like that. Some of it is like journal articles, you know, so I don't, I'm looking, trying to see if there's anything here. That's what's the old, I'm looking at the list right now. Like what is the oldest source that they have? And everything's in like the two thousands. So here's something of his biography, 1996. So like all of these sources are relatively recent. So I don't know what's been verified like with the governments of these countries. Like I suppose I can just go ahead and say like, I've been in prison in France and like France doesn't care. Are they going to, are they going to fact check me and be like, this yeah. bitch is lying. We never imprisoned yeah, exactly. her. Like what do they care? You know? So I don't, I don't know who has tried to verify all of the things that are verifiable. Like, was he in prison in France? Was he in prison in Sweden? Like, has he consulted with the FBI? I feel like a responsible journalist would have done like FOIA requests. I don't know if that's applicable in all of these countries, but if they're part of public records, then I think some sort of responsible journalist out there has tried. You would think like, if he's claiming like I'm working for the FBI, Mm-hmm. about with fraud and I am you know a consultant for them and all these things like involve like I teach at their at their schools or whatever you'd think after so many years of making that claim someone from the FBI would come forward and be like this bitch is full of shit like that's not yeah, happening totally so but like never according to the NPR article n- no one from the N- FBI has ever come forward and said like yes he's doing this but they also have not come forward and been like no he's not they can neither so. confirm nor deny yeah, so I don't know what people have done to try to verify the things that should be verifiable. I'm sure but according to has. According to this NPR article, they think that he's pretty full of shit. All right. 
So, yeah, he, that, that might be the longest con of all his entire life. <laughs> and now he's making <laughs> millions of dollars as a security consultant because of his past as a con man that isn't true. <laughs> My greatest I mean, con is convincing everyone that I'm a that con he's a man. con man. I mean, yeah, if, if he's con- successfully convinced these people, then maybe he should. And he is a con man. Yeah. Then, oh god, it's a chicken and egg situation, right? But it, if he's a con, if he's conning them into believing he's a con man, he's still a con man. But Correct. does he have authority to talk about things like? the fake checks and like, I don't, the things that he's talking about, like being a pilot, faking documents, like how good is he actually at that? I don't know. Yeah. Like, can he speak to that specific type of con? Maybe not. We'll never know. I know. It's so like mind boggling. I can't. It's a con within a con within a con. Makes my head Conception. Conception. I hate it. That's the next Leo DiCaprio movie. (laughs) Conception. Conception. (laughs) Conception. (laughs) Well, my best one yet you can listen to harpy hour on itunes spotify google play stitcher tune in and iHeartRadio. wherever you listen please leave us a glowing review and rate us don't con us out of that you can also follow us on facebook instagram and twitter at harpy hour pod and email us at harpyhourpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know if uh, you have any con tricks to share. Mm-hmm. We want to hear them. And if you have any, if you have millions of con dollars lying around that you don't know what to do with, mm-hmm. yeah, don't tell us that you got it from a con, but give it to us, por favor. We will take that extra money and turn it into extra content like magic. Poof. On Patreon. On Patreon, yes. yeah. Listen to us on Patreon. Go over there, check out our tiers. Become a Patreon. Become a patron on Patreon. Do it. Do it. So, thanks for listening. Okay, okay bye. bye! Pow. 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 Boom, boom. Pow, pow, pow.